Welcome to the Leadership Playbook, the show where successful leaders share what they learn to get to where they are. This podcast is an offshoot of the Albers Executive Speaker Series. And it's brought to you by RSMUS LLP, the nation's leading provider of assurance, tax, and consulting services focused on the middle market. I'm your host, Joe Phillips, the Dean of Seattle University's Albers School of Business and Economics. Good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us tonight to this edition of the Albers Executive Speaker Series. My name is Joe Phillips. I'm Dean of the Albers School. And this evening, we're very delighted to welcome Katie Griggs, President of Business Operations for the Seattle Mariners. And her focus tonight is on the new return on experience, ROE, redefining the fan experience. So this is our first speaker series event of this calendar year. But to start off the event, and before we make introductions of our speaker, I'd like to welcome our president, Eduardo Peñaver, to the stage, please. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for uh, joining us tonight for this latest installment in our Albers Executive Speaker Series. Uh, this series has hosted some of the biggest names in business in Seattle and from around the world. Kicked off 20 years ago, appropriately enough, with a talk by then Costco CEO and co-founder Jim Senegal, for whom our new Center for Science and Innovation down the mall is named, along with his wife, Jan. And in more recent years, it's included Todd Lightwicky, CEO of the Kraken and a member of the Seattle U Board of Trustees, Howard Schultz, the former and now current CEO of Starbucks, and almost every CEO of Boeing commercial aircraft going back to Frank Schrantz. Last year, the series transitioned to a podcast because of COVID, and, and we're happy to be back in person, although we've kept the podcast even after returning to these in-person events. I couldn't be more excited about tonight's speaker, Katie Griggs. As you may know, I am a, a huge Mariners fan. My first dog was named Edgar. My current dog is named Griffey, and I tried to name my first son Ichiro, but my, my wife objected to that. As a Mariners fan, I'm excited about Katie's leadership. And as Seattle University president, I'm really grateful for the partnerships that we've formed with the Mariners and which Katie has supported. A particularly important one, obviously, is our sports management MBA in which the Mariners participate along with other Seattle professional franchises. But I think nothing compares to the Mariners' decision to light up T-Mobile Park with a big Red Hawk Red W after our men's basketball team regular season conference title win this past March. And I, I have it on good information that Katie was personally responsible for that amazing show of support. So thank you. Thank you, Katie. And then I would say, finally, I've been tasked by my 13 and 15-year-old sons to pass on their strong approval of the decision to replace Louie Louie with Macklemore during the seventh inning stretch. We were there on opening day, and I have to say that was not an uncontroversial move, at least in, in our section of the ballpark. And you can tell, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm wearing the trident, and I would welcome that. So you know that my sympathies lie with my age cohort. But baseball is having no trouble attracting people like me to the ballpark. So I did want to share that expression of support from two of your younger fans who I'm confident are closer to the age target demographic that you're hoping to attract with this particular innovation. So I will now turn things back over to Joe to introduce you and kick us off. OK, thank you so much, Eduardo. As president of the Mariners, Katie Griggs is the highest ranking woman in professional baseball. 
After earning her undergraduate and MBA degrees from Dartmouth, she moved to Atlanta and spent five years in various roles at Turner Broadcasting between 2010 and 2015. She then moved to Future Sport and Entertainment, a sports media agency where she was charged with launching the firm's America's operations. In 2017, she joined Atlanta United as chief business officer to help launch the team as a major league soccer expansion team. And within just two years, Atlanta United was named the Sports Team of the Year at the 2019 Sports Business Awards. Among their many achievements is they outclassed the Sounders with attendance records, which nobody ever thought could happen, right, by 10,000 fans a game. So that's pretty remarkable. Last July, she joined the Mariners. She's focused on improving the Mariner fan experience, and that is what she is going to discuss with us tonight. So please join me in welcoming Katie Griggs to Seattle University. Thank you. Good evening. All right, now, this is sports. We're going to get the energy up. Good evening. <laughs> it is such a pleasure to be with you guys tonight. I really appreciate you having me. As Joe mentioned, my name is Katie Griggs. I'm the president of business operations for the Seattle Mariners. So your next question may be, what the heck is a president of business operations? So quick summary. If you're thinking about who finds, trains, develops, coaches the players, it ain't me. That'd be Jerry. If you're thinking about almost anything else, though, inclusive of our spring training facility in Peoria, Arizona, our minor league team in Modesto, California, our Dominican Republic Training Academy, or T-Mobile Park, and any and all of the myriad of business-associated items that go with those facilities, that's where my team and I come in. So with that being said, I want to start by taking a quick second to level set. When you think about baseball, and the Seattle Mariners, what comes to mind? Some of you may be thinking of a favorite player, past or present. Some of you may be thinking of the entire team. Some of you may be thinking of an experience going with family, friends, loved ones, or community members, or maybe just the random drunk guy sitting next to you. I apologize for him. <laughs> for most of you, though, I suspect it's a combination of all of those things. And that's what we're going to spend time talking about tonight, is ultimately what are those areas of the fan experience? So, get asked a lot what it's like to run a business in sports. And in many ways, it's like running any other business. There's just one core difference. In sports, despite the fact we very much wish we could, we can't always control exactly what happens on the field of play on any given night. For example, I don't know that tonight's going so well for us, but it's been going okay so far, so I'm not too worried. Players are not baseball robots. They're humans, like you and me. They have good days. They have bad days. So we recognize that. We do everything we can to put them in the right circumstances where they can perform at their best. But moreover, we focus on what are those things we can control. And that's all of those places where you may encounter our team and our brand. That could be on social media, can be on the broadcasts, can be listening on the radio. Or for many of you, hopefully most of you, it's by coming and sharing a game with us at T-Mobile Park. I will tell you, to my point about how do we actually try to enforce and reinforce that play on the field, the energy in the ballpark matters. If any of you had the opportunity to join us at the end of last season or at the beginning of this season, you got to hear directly from Jesse Winker, who may have gone non-radio safe impromptu in an interview this year. <laughs> they notice, okay? They feed off the energy of the crowd. 
With that in mind, it's our job to figure out how do we put the right environment in place where you, your friends, your family, and the drunk guy next to you can all have an amazing time. So with that being said, what is a fan experience? So I had the privilege of joining last July. By the time my family and I moved out here to Seattle from Atlanta, I was here for about roughly the last 20 games of the homestand, or the regular season at home. During that time, my typical night was getting three or four tickets to seats in random parts of the ballpark. Sitting, watching the game, waiting in concession lines, listening to our fans, observing what was going on around me, and generally getting to know our ballpark, our fans, and what that's like. I have sat probably in most parts of our ballpark at this point. It was an incredible opportunity because it allowed me firsthand perspective of what are the things that are going pretty well, what are some of the stuff that really we need to improve, what were fans saying. It also allowed me the opportunity to get to know our ballpark. So for any of you who've been to T-Mobile Park and have had the privilege of also going to other sporting venues, baseball parks around the country, we have an incredible asset in T-Mobile Park. I like referring to the different neighborhoods inside the ballpark. Depending on what you want, there's a different experience for everyone. So when I talk about that, I get asked a lot, having sat around the ballpark, where, where's my favorite place to sit? And the short version is, I don't have one. The longer version is, despite the fact there's only one of me, I want different experiences at different times. When I bring my six-year-old son to a game, my favorite place to sit is actually up at 300 behind home plate. He can see the entire field. It's easy to teach him what's going on. If he needs a break, we can go out to the boardwalk, look at views of the Puget Sound, the Seattle skyline, grab some dip and dots, let him run around, and then go back. When I go with my husband, I actually like the left field bleachers. It's a really, I'm glad I've got a friend out there, all right. So like the left field bleachers, it's a little bit of a more chill experience. There's great food and beverage options right nearby. You can watch the game and be surrounded by people who are there just to have a good time enjoying the game. I spend a lot of my time hosting guests. When I'm hosting business guests, I love to be in our diamond club. The food and beverage there is incredible. You're so close to the game, you can literally hear Robbie Ray grunting, although you can hear that a few rows back as well. But again, I'm one person, but it doesn't matter. I still want different experiences at different points in time. So that was the part of the experience and the learning there. The other was just directly asking our fans. So during that final homestand, we hosted a series of town halls and listening sessions with our fans and frankly with some non-fans. So one was with a group of season ticket members, many of whom were long time season ticket members, long suffering season ticket members, as they told me. <laughs> some of them were newer. We had an entire different section with single game buyers and lapsed buyers, folks who hadn't come in years. Because the reality is in a business like ours, you can often learn as much from listening to people who are choosing not to spend their time and money with you as you can from those who are. So having had that experience, we embarked into the off season. My team and I spent every single day throughout the unfortunately slightly protracted off season, figuring out how do we build on what we heard from our fans? Because what we heard from our fans were really three things. One, our fans want us to win, okay? That's not unreasonable. We want to win too. I want to be very clear for anyone who's questioning. I'm incredibly competitive, I am expecting to win. So our fans want us to win. For any of you guys who've been paying attention to the team over the last couple of years, Jerry, Justin, and Scott have put in a lot of hard work. They built the number one farm system in baseball. 
You've seen some of our younger guys get intentionally elevated up to the bigs, and they haven't all been great out of the gate. That's okay. It's about giving them experience, giving them those at-bats, giving those reps. So if you have a guy like Logan Gilbert, who's currently leading baseball right now from an ERA standpoint, you actually are building something where it's not just about dumping all of your dollars in the pot to win today. What we are trying to do is create a system where we can win now, but also win next year and the year after that and the year after that. And again, for anyone who's been paying attention so far this year, we're off to a pretty good start. So thing one, they want us to win. Thing two, our fans care about that experience. They care about what it is that they feel, how they are treated, and that sense of belonging that they get when they come to a game. Eduardo talked about our cohorts and our target demographics, and it's interesting. I get asked a lot, okay, well, are you trying to sort of shove out yesterday's fans and bring in a whole new generation? The answer is a big heck no. What we are trying to do is create an experience that is truly inclusive and welcoming to everyone. And we believe here in Seattle at T-Mobile Park, we have the ability to do just that, but it requires focus and it requires listening and it requires holding ourselves to a higher standard and a standard of accountability to ensure that regardless of who comes to our ballpark, regardless of who he, she, or they is, they feel welcome, they feel comfortable, and they feel that they have a home and that they belong at T-Mobile Park. So that's two. Three is value. Okay, I use the word value intentionally. When you hear value, you may be thinking low prices, and that's part of it, right? Turns out money does not grow on trees. But it's also about that value exchange. For many of our fans, if they are investing their hard-earned money, and frankly, time with us, they want to be getting something of greater value in return. So for us, it's ensuring that we consistently live up to that standard. So a few things that have happened during the off-season, and this ties back to our ROE, return on experience, might be an odd KPI to folks. You might be thinking, she's running a business. I'm pretty sure she should be caring about profit margins and net income and important stuff like that. And I do. But I truly believe if we do the right thing for our community, the right thing for our fans, and ensure that the experiences our fans have with us at T-Mobile Park and more broadly across the community, if we ensure that that's top notch, I'm not worried about the economics. Those will follow. We need to focus on doing the right thing for our fans. So what does that mean? During this offseason, one of the first changes we made was for the first time in our company's history, we launched a new role, vice president of fan experience. This person's job is to wake up every single day, asking the hard questions, looking at the world through the eyes of our fans, and ensuring that every touch point that a fan has from the moment they get to T-Mobile Park until the moment that they leave meets those standards, meets the standards of ensuring that value is there. And the reality is we've got a big ballpark. For anyone who's not aware, on a game day, we have roughly 1,000 men and women working in our facility, ensuring that we have that top notch. So part of it is ensuring they have the resources and training they need to be successful. But this is an individual who all he does is work with those groups, our concessions, our parking, our guest services, anything you can think of that you might be encountering and pushing them to make sure that we're being fan friendly and we're having a consistent treatment and we're elevating our offerings every single day. We know we're not perfect, to be clear. That's why he has a job, okay? But we are going dedicated to getting better, and we have someone whose sole focus is on continuing to push us to get there. So that's thing one. Thing two, I talked about creating that sense of inclusion and that sense of belonging. We're in the process of hiring a vice president of diversity, equity, inclusion, and culture. The end culture is not just a weird add-on to an already long title. 
the only way we can truly be effective at moving the needle from a DEI perspective is if it penetrates the very culture of our entire organization, both in terms of the way we behave in our office and the way in which we attract, recruit, develop and retain diverse talent that represents the community in which we live and in which we serve, but also the way that we proactively and authentically engage with our broader community, ensuring that as we're going and doing outreach in our community, it's meeting the needs of all of the different groups and recognizing that I don't know what all of those are. I look at the world through my lens. We all need to be intentional about surrounding ourselves with individuals who have different backgrounds and experiences and life views to help us be stronger, to help us ensure that we are appropriately and authentically addressing the needs of the myriad of different constituents throughout the Pacific Northwest. That's thing two. Thing three is value. So with that in mind, we did tackle it from two different ends. We tackled it from the perspective of we do recognize that to be inclusive, we need to ensure that fans can come to our ballpark, regardless of their economic wherewithal. We have a tremendous opportunity. There are 81 regular season home games. We have the ability to welcome fans to our ballpark. With that being said, it's not cheap. We know that. So this year, we're leaning into our value games. So we had four of them during our opening series this season already. We'll have many, many more throughout the season. They're also our college nights. Take advantage of those. But our value games, for as little as $10, you can get a ticket into the ballpark. With that being said, we also rolled out a value menu. As part of our value menu, for $3, you can get a hot dog, popcorn, peanuts, nachos, red vines, a water bottle, or a refillable soda. Again, the refillable soda is important. And yes, there are diet soda options, so don't worry, it's not all about driving calories, I promise. But with that being said, it's important because we recognize that those things add up. And as a mom of two young kids, if I bring my kids, the ability to give them each something to drink, shared popcorn and two hot dogs for less than 20 bucks, that matters. That matters, it makes it something where for a typical family, you have the ability to actually come. You have the ability to bring your kids. So that's another area of focus. I also get asked a lot about dollar beer nights. There seems to be a rallying cry for dollar beer nights for a variety of reasons. I don't think we're ready to go there yet, but we did create a value beer menu. We recognize there's something about going to a ballpark, having a hot dog, having a beer, that's just part of the experience. So for anyone who didn't know, for five bucks, you can get a domestic beer. For six, you can get craft or hard seltzer. Again, it's about creating something where regardless of who you are, you can come to the ballpark and have a good time at a price point that won't break the bank. Now, shifting to the other end of the spectrum, we do live in an affluent market. And we do recognize that particularly with venues like Climate Pledge coming online, they've done an incredible job. It is a beautiful building with beautiful spaces. There is a need and a want in this community for high-end spaces as well. I mentioned the Diamond Club earlier. I love our Diamond Club. However, it is original to when the building was built in the 90s. The experience is great, but it feels like it was built in the 90s, okay? At that price point, that is no longer the standard that they expect and desire. So we're taking advantage of this off-season. We're gut renovating that entire space, elevating the food and beverage experience further, improving in-seats and dining, and taking that space from 1999 into the 2023, by the time it's launched, sign, in reflecting the experience and the desire that those fans want. Additionally, we really wanna make sure our ballpark is something where you can take full advantage of the whole thing. Currently, some of the best views in our ballpark are in our press box. None of our fans have ever been able to see them. No, 
Don't worry, we're taking care of the media, I promise. They're not going far. But we're taking advantage of that space and are going to work to build that out into another club space where it's a wall of windows. Wherever you are in the club, you can see the field. And you also have these incredible views from these seats right behind home plate. We're really excited about these opportunities. But again, the word value matters because it's not just about cheap. We recognize cheap matters, but we also recognize its quality and the experience that you're delivering at that high end, that also is important. With that being said, talked about 2023. 2023 is a big opportunity for us. For anyone who's not aware, we'll be hosting the Major League Baseball All-Star Week here in Seattle. It's a huge opportunity for us to showcase the Pacific Northwest at its finest in July. It's a huge opportunity for us to share our love of baseball more broadly and highlight what makes Seattle special. So talked about in the ballpark, one other element I haven't discussed that I truly believe is part of that fan experience is what's going on around the ballpark. Get asked about that a lot. We recognize that there is a need to invest in the neighborhood and the community in which we exist. Programming and bringing more fans back down, bringing more people back down, creating a safe and secure neighborhood where there's more action, there's more activity, and there is an environment where our fans want to be. Part of that is ensuring that we have something for fans to do on game days, but also beyond. So over the last year, we've been working to rebuild the old Pyramid Brewery space right across the street from the ballpark. And in the next year, we'll be opening a new brewery run by the only Black-owned brewer here in the state of Washington, Medier Brewing, a new restaurant, an event space, and yes, a beer garden. So for us, it really is about trying to bring all of these elements together and recognizing that stealing something from my compatriots on the baseball side, if you go listen to them in the clubhouse, Scott's mantra, and something that you can sometimes see on shirts that the guys are wearing in photos, is DMGB. Doesn't matter, get better. That mentality works on the baseball side. But when we're looking at the fan experience, when we're looking at how do we come to market, and what can we do for this community to elevate the role of the Mariners, elevate the role of baseball, and ensure that we're creating this welcoming, inclusive space for everyone, that's our mindset too. Along the way, we're gonna have some great nights. We're gonna have some amazing days. We're gonna get things right. We're gonna get a lot more things right than we get wrong. Doesn't matter, can always get better. We're gonna have some days where things don't go as well as we want them to. Doesn't matter, get better. That is the mindset that we bring when we're looking at everything that we do, when we're approaching our fan experience, when we're approaching the ways in which we come to market, and we're approaching the way in which we redevelop and strengthen those relationships where we have with our fans, not only of today, but also recognizing we have a opportunity and frankly an obligation to more effectively attract and reach the fans of tomorrow. So really excited to talk to you guys tonight, answer any questions you might have, and appreciate you having me up here. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking on the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Okay, thank you so much for those remarks, Kenny. They were really terrific. And now we're going to get to the questions. But let me introduce our panelists who are going to start out with the questions. Closest to me is Jalen Ward. Jalen is a first-year student in our MBA in Sport and Entertainment Management program. He's also a member of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion subcommittee in that program. He recently started a fellowship with the Seattle Storm Corporate Partnerships and Social Responsibility Team. And he has previously worked at the Washington Athletic Club and Member Services. While he was in college, he was a basketball student athlete for his first three years. 
And then after school, after he graduated from the University of Washington with a degree in communication, he worked in an athletic apparel store, and he has coached and instructed in basketball and basketball camps, and he also volunteers tutoring BIPOC youth in uh, Seattle Public Schools. And then uh, furthest from me is our alumni rep, Claire Penhale. She is the human resources manager for the Seattle Seahawks. She's in her sixth season with the Seahawks, and now she manages the daily operations of that department, which includes onboarding, payroll and benefits, and reporting. She graduated from the Sport and Entertainment Management Program when it was known by something else, which was the Masters of Sports Administration Leadership. That was back in 2014, and when she was in the program, she was also working at Seattle U in the UW ticketing departments. And she has her undergraduate degree from UW as well. And then in the middle is our undergraduate student, Matt Bosinell is a senior majoring in finance. He also is playing on the baseball team in the outfield. He has been on the Western Athletic Conference all-academic team the last two years. And he's still celebrating from the win over UW yesterday, right? Yeah. Right. When he went two for four and had two doubles. So there you go. All right, so we'll get started with our questions. Jalen, since you're closest, you get to go first. Hi, Katie. Uh, thank you for being here. To start, I just wanted to ask, what was uh, your first win where it really made you confident in your leadership role? It's interesting. I, I don't know that I can tell you the first, but I'll give you a very recent one that was incredibly encouraging for me. I really believe when you're trying to do something new, it means you need to take chances. And when you take chances, Sometimes it works out well, sometimes it works out a little bit less well. But you have to create a culture where people feel comfortable trying new things, identifying a challenge, coming up with an approach, talking to others, and executing. So for anyone who's attended that first homestand, the first Saturday, we had a giveaway of Ken Griffey Jr. bobbleheads. They were very popular. But it was a bit of a mess, frankly, operationally. Afterwards, one of the women who works on our operations team got together with another group and they came up with some new things to try. We, this past weekend, we had an Edgar Martinez statue giveaway. Very similar structure, boxes and boxes, and many of them we knew would be popular. They tried something new. I was so thrilled because I, historically, that hasn't been something that's part of our culture, is that mentality and approach where at different levels throughout the organization, people felt empowered to recognize a problem, collaborate with their peers across the organization, and trial something. And it wasn't perfect, but it was really good. And that mentality and seeing that first step to having someone identify a challenge and take that action was incredibly gratifying and really was something that made me confident we're going in the right direction. Thank you. Hi, thank you for coming. My question was coming out of COVID, digital mm -hmm. media has been much more prevalent. And I was wondering how digital media has impacted the fan engagement and the younger audience. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that's really interesting in the world of digital media is it's constantly evolving, right? New platforms emerge, new ways to use platforms. Apparently we're boycotting Twitter. I don't think we actually are, but I'm very clear as to what will be going on in the future with Twitter. But it's constantly evolving. And to your point during COVID, particularly as we couldn't have fans in the ballpark, social media and our broadcasts and our radio became much more prevalent. Um, a few of the things that are focus areas for us Baseball's a little bit different in terms of the way in which social media gets used because several of the rights associated with digital, in fact, most of them are held centrally by Major League Baseball. 
So we need to collaborate with Major League Baseball on a lot of the things that we do. With that being said, one of the areas of opportunities, historically our social media platforms have been very, very player centric, which isn't bad. But as I mentioned up front, our fans are part of that experience. When we're at our best, it's not just because the players on the field are playing well, it's because there's that energy and enthusiasm and sense of community behind it in the stands. And so we're working much more proactively to showcase and celebrate our fans alongside our athletes, not only in the ballpark, but also across all social media channels. When you are looking to rebuild or maybe upgrade a space, you use a Diamond Club as an example, do you look at other baseball teams or different sporting facilities or maybe even a different industry as, as a guide or to get inspired and, and kind of build off of that space? Or do you look at completely different spaces or how do you start with building innovation in space? Uh, so the short version is you surround yourself with good people who are experts in this. But to your point, yeah, no, it's all about looking at different spaces. I mean, this is an opportunity ultimately to bring people together, right? This is at its core what we are attempting to achieve. And so, yes, we're looking at a variety of other athletic venues in terms of what, what's best in class that others have done, recognizing there are some sort of nuances to operating a sporting venue. But we're also looking across the board what's relevant from a restaurant standpoint, what's relevant from a hotel or hospitality, what's rest relevant in terms of just spaces where people are coming together. You know, as an example, you know, we definitely are evolving to a place where you need to have a bunch of different use cases for a space. Sometimes you might want to have more of a seated dinner opportunity. Sometimes you actually might want to use the space. And we have a lot of our corporate partners who come into our building and want to hold meetings, right, in the space. And so ensuring that you're factoring in not only the use cases of today, but also the flexibility to evolve use cases of tomorrow is a core part of that consideration set as well. Second, I wanted to ask, what has been one of your biggest obstacles as a woman in a leadership role? And if so, how have you navigated that? Or how do you plan to? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, I get that one a lot. I've been incredibly fortunate in that I've had a lot of support from a lot of different people, regardless of gender, my entire career. With that being said, I haven't been able to see a lot of people who look like me doing the stuff that I do. So when I'm doing things and I'm trying to figure out how do I work a normal day job, 81 home games, and be a mom to a two-year-old and a six-year-old, I don't have a lot of role models. Shaney is actually a fantastic role model. But there aren't a lot of us out there. And so I think that it's something where, again, it's more getting out of my own way and recognizing that there are going to be places where I don't necessarily have someone who I can look to and say, this is the way it's been done before, because sometimes I just have to do it myself and figure out what feels right to me. And the same way I talked about the rest of our team, sometimes we try new things and they go well, sometimes less well. It's no different being a female leader, but it's, I think what I've had to work on is personally getting out of my own way and giving myself the grace for the times when they don't go as well to just let it go, figure out what didn't work and get better. My next question is, I know we want the season to be always longer than seven months, but as it's only seven <laughs> months, what, what does seven the- Seven months is good. What, Technically eight, I'd like yes, eight. eight. What does the fan engagement look like in the off season when the fans aren't mm -hmm. able to come to the stadium? It's a fantastic question, right? Because there's, a, the reality is there's a lot of competition for mindshare, 
right? And while we have the opportunity to get in front of our fans a lot during the regular season, there is that lull. And maintaining that sense of connection, retaining relevance during that period so we can hit the ground running when we start playing again. It's not fully off sync because there's at least some excitement around spring training, but again, there is, to your point, a fairly protracted period of time where baseball is not perhaps top, as top as mind. Some of that's okay, but for us, it's also about looking at it proactively. That's, I get asked a lot, oh, the off-season, that must be great. You probably get some time off. That's not how this works. Off-season's a totally different job because during the season, it's much more about execution and iteration. The off-season's when we get to make a lot of the big decisions that are going to inform how we come to life the next year. So for us, it's about being intentional and recognizing that we're gonna have player signings. We're going to have announcements in terms of things that we're doing at the ballpark. We're going to be active in the community in terms of going out. And we have a, one of our community relations associates, Mackenzie, who's a Seattle U alum. She's amazing. She works year round. Her team works year round. We are out in the community all the time trying to give back, trying to make a difference. So it's remembering that we can showcase and celebrate those moments and find opportunities to bring our fans in and keep keep them part of our journey throughout the year. But also we recognize sometimes our fans need a breather, so we try to give them that too. It sounds like your hands are so full. You're managing a baseball team and a family. How do you take time for you? Do you have any insider tips or tricks on like routines or things that we could take away to... <laughs> poorly. I do it poorly. No, I, look, I think it's, it's interesting. When, like, when you're looking at work-life balance, I look at it as a pendulum. I'm never in balance. At any given point in time, I am out of balance. But there are times when I'm out of balance on work, and then there are times where I'm out of balance in prioritizing my family or prioritizing myself, right? And so when I look at that work-life balance pendulum, I look at it truly on a spectrum. There are going to be points in time, like as an example, over the last couple weeks, we had nine games in 10 days. That was not a 40-hour work week. <laughs> but the team's on the road right now, you know? Tonight I have the pleasure of being here with you, but other nights I can come in a little bit late in the mornings, make sure I get my kids off to school, get home a little bit earlier so I can play in the backyard with them before they go to bed. But it is about finding, perhaps not in any given day or any given point in time, that balance, but it's about looking at it, being planful over an extended time horizon and ensuring that if I'm investing in one side of my life, I don't let it go so far before I reinvest in the other. My next question was, what advice would you give to your younger self at the start of your career? <laughs> uh, I think the same, adv same advice I got from most people, which was be patient, which was drove me nuts. I think realistically, it's careers are not linear paths. I never was someone who knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. I, you know, sometimes I get asked, you know, have you always wanted to be a president of a baseball team? And it makes me laugh because it never occurred to me to shoot that high. I started out, before I got my MBA, I was a strategy consultant for IBM in New York City. From there, I went and joined a market research firm that worked primarily in the media entertainment space. It wasn't until I was getting my MBA that I decided I really wanted to work in sports. And I wanted to work in sports because it's something I'm passionate about and it's something where the work that I do and the work that my team does at its best has the ability to bring people together and create joy in communities. I can get up every morning excited about that. but. I hadn't worked in sports. And as it turns out, sports is an industry where it can be kind of hard to break in, particularly if you're looking to break in at anything other than the entry level. And I couldn't do that, I had student loans. So at that point, it was about finding what were the things that I had done that made me differentiated as a candidate. And that was strategy and a lot of work in media. And then, so my first job was actually working 
in business development doing media rights deals and cross-platform content strategy for Turner Sports, because that was my foot in the door. I'd done two legs of it, hadn't done the sports part, but I could figure it out, and I could tell a story as to why I was the best candidate for that role, despite the fact I didn't have the sports experience. Since then, every career decision, frankly, has been about learning new things. It's about opening more doors than I close. It's about building relationships. It wasn't something where it was a, I woke up and said, this is what I'm gonna be and this is the path I'm gonna get there. I never could have scripted it. But it really was about going and approaching the world with curiosity, valuing the relationships, taking advantage of mentors and people from whom I could learn and recognizing that you never really know where that's gonna take you. My next question might not be the most direct question, but I'm sure you hear a lot of questions and have a lot of conversations. What is one thing that you feel you don't get asked enough about your job or about your career that is good for people to know or learn from or yeah. just one important thing? No, it's a great question. It's easier to think of the questions I get a lot. I think one thing that we don't spend enough time talking about is the role of the team, right? My job, at this point is to surround myself with incredibly smart, kind, motivated people who know more about what they do than I do, right? It's about pulling all those people together, creating a shared and common vision, troubleshooting, and giving them the resources they need to do what they do. It's not about me. I mean, I have the privilege of working, as I mentioned, on game days with a thousand men and women who are all coming to work because they love the team, and they wanna make people happy, right? Those are the people we need to spend more time talking about because regardless of what your role is, you could be flipping hot dogs, you could be a member of our community relations team, our ticket sales team, our marketing team, or our baseball ops group. You're more than just your title, right? We all need to come together with that common shared goal and an openness to recognize that regardless of what your business card might say, I don't know if business cards are a thing anymore, but whatever. But regardless of what your title might be, you can be more than that, right? The whole point of bringing together with people with different backgrounds, different experiences, different life views is because together we're stronger than we are on our own. And so I think that that idea of making sure that folks keep an eye on the full spectrum of people working behind the scenes to make things happen versus a single person is really important. In an industry where you see full-time staff be long tenured and mm -hmm. stay in roles for long periods of time, how do you recognize or motivate or retain staff who don't have like a clear line of promotional trajectory? It's tough. I mean, the reality is if you join a consulting firm, there's a very clear, this is the trajectory, these are the roadmap, this is where your career will go. That doesn't exist in sports the same way, to your point. So with that in mind, it really is about identifying ways where people can continue to grow and develop. and perhaps counterintuitively, I'm okay when people leave to pursue other opportunities, particularly if I don't have the ability for them to grow into something that they're ready for. It is a good thing when people are ready. And while we always try to keep top talent, the reality is sometimes the absolute best thing for a person is to recognize they're ready for something we can't offer them. And in those moments, helping them, supporting them, and celebrating them if they find another opportunity. With that being said, one of the things that we can control and we spend a lot of time focusing on, and I'll give you an example, is finding places where people can continue to broaden their skill sets, get exposure to different things that they might not, that again, whether it's at the Mariners, hopefully, 
or elsewhere will make them stronger, better candidates. And so as an example of that, I mentioned the All-Star Games coming next year. Typically speaking, Major League Baseball asks for a list of roughly 45-ish coordinators. And coordinator is not a title, it's just people who are gonna work on very specific things for them. We've put together an actual leadership team around it. And it's a leadership team consisting of individuals at that manager to senior director level that was very intentionally constructed, not only to identify a lot of the really talented people in that cohort, but also people who represent different groups, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different genders, different ages, different tenures with our company, with a goal of how do we bring these people together to look at the world differently and let them own it, right? And so there may not be an opportunity for me to have someone do my job today. I'm sort of doing it. But at some point I won't be. And our goal is to have created a pipeline where folks are getting the exposure and maybe it won't immediately react, result in a promotion then, but getting the exposure, getting the skills, getting the experience, where they're ready for that next role, and hopefully it's with us. I'm gonna jump in with a question from the audience, if you don't mind. So, not unrelated to what you've been talking about, how do you think about organizational culture and its influence on positive results for an organization, whether it's the Mariners or Atlanta? What would be the culture that, in your mind, would achieve the best results? What would it look like? I think organizational culture is everything. You know, it's, it's the old saying, culture eats strategy for breakfast. It really, in my mind, is about putting that mindset and support and, frankly, consistency around our values, who we are, what we're trying to achieve, and that shared common vision, and getting people rallied behind it that matters. I'll give you an example of how it comes to life. So we just finished our first homestand. And I, generally, team played really well. That made it good fun. A lot of things went really well. Frankly, there were a lot of things that we need to continue to get better at. So historically, it's easy for folks to get defensive when you start picking at things that didn't go right, because everyone works incredibly hard. Even when things go wrong, everyone worked incredibly hard to get there. But culturally, we're working to change it so we can actually have constructive conversations and identify those areas where we need to get better and have those conversations in a way where they're not adversarial, they're not pointed, they're simply Everyone looking around and saying, how do we all collectively get better? So on Monday, so after this homestand, we're in a room of roughly 50 people representing all of the different departments around our organization. Everyone came together. We looked at fan survey results and we talked about it. We talked about what went well, what do we need to build on, and what were some of the opportunities for us to get better? And starting to have that culture where people can be comfortable calling out opportunities for improvement without giving them or receiving them in a way that's personal. It's simply with the overarching culture and objective of getting better. For us to get to where we need to be, that needs to be part of who we are. And that's the only way you get there is by making it something where it's reinforced through the culture. So we're getting there. We have a ways to go, but we're getting there. A lot of us throughout life consume ourselves with making sure we try to do everything right to achieve our goals, whether in your personal life or through your leadership role. What's the, an example of the biggest risk you may have taken? Taking the job at Atlanta United. So I mentioned I worked in media. My next job was working at an agency where it was largely based around data and analytics in the media and sports space. So I'd done a lot of it. It was going really well. And I got a phone call about a startup soccer team in Atlanta. I lived in Atlanta, it was home, but a startup soccer team and they were looking for someone to come run the business. I had never run a professional sports team. I didn't know what that looked like. You know, I had done a lot of the different components of it. I'd worked with a lot of sports teams as a 
consultant or through the agency. I had never done anything like that. There were so many things where I was going to be trying to figure things out for the first time at a senior level. And I was really comfortable where I was at. I was good at it. I knew I was good at it. Oh yeah, I also had a one-year-old. <laughs> and I remember talking to my husband about it and I was really conflicted because it was a really cool opportunity, but I was terrified I would fail because there was a lot of new. And ultimately, you know, as I worked through it, I sort of figured out my worst case scenario is I did fail miserably publicly and I got fired. It would suck. But the more likely scenario is I would figure it out. I'd learn and it wouldn't be easy, but I'd be better off having tried and I'd be more likely to succeed than I was to fail. And if my very worst case scenario was public humiliation and failure and getting fired, I'd be okay. I had a family who loved me. I would find another job. And frankly, I'd be better off for it because I would have learned something new. If nothing else, I would have learned what not to do. So it really was about being comfortable, recognizing that just because I hadn't done something before didn't mean that I couldn't do it. And that yes, there's risk involved, but it'd be okay. And it was important to take the chance. It worked out okay too. My next question is kind of looking to the future, whether it's within the Mariners or within the industry, is there any trends going forward that excite you? There are tremendous opportunity ahead of it. There's a lot of change, right? COVID presented a real disruption, not just to our industry, but to many. And it's still a little bit unknown how some of these things are going to be sort of unfold over the coming years. Behavioral patterns have changed. We have an opportunity where in baseball, you know, we do have an issue in terms of we are not effectively reaching demographics that at some point in time, we need to be reaching, right? How do we maintain relevance? How do we maintain the role as a sport that people want to play as youths, but also want to consume on TV or on radio and come to ultimately come to the games. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. That's fun, right? Because it means that there isn't a prescribed path forward. There's an opportunity for us to look and recognize that we get to chart our own path. We get to try new things. And so from an excitement standpoint for me, it really is, I took this job because I believe in the Mariners. I took this job because I believe in the city of Seattle. I think this is a great sports market. I think coming out of COVID, people have recognized that there's a desire to come together, to spend time with people, to have those shared experiences. For us, we just need to deliver on our end. And I really do believe that there's an opportunity to rethink what those experiences look like, how people come together in the role that a sports franchise can play in actually elevating a community and bringing people together and helping them see the similarities and a common love for a team instead of just looking and seeing the differences. I think there's a time where, and that time is right now, where we can actually do some really, really impactful stuff. And so for me, that's what gets me excited. What makes Seattle and the Pacific Northwest a unique market for sports? There are a few things. You know, we have the largest geographic territory of any major league sports team. So our territory covers Actually, Hawaii is a shared territory, but Oregon, Washington, Alaska, Idaho, and Montana, it's a big footprint. It's a big opportunity for us, right? Stealing Nike's tagline of, you know, they're there for all athletes, and if you have a body, you're an athlete. If you live in that footprint, you should be a Seattle Mariners fan. And if you aren't, I'm going to keep working at it until you are. <laughs> so for us, I think that's something where it's really unique in professional sports to have that type of geographic reach. It's, an, it's a challenge. 
But I do believe it's a tremendous opportunity. The other thing I will tell you, and I mentioned Cheney earlier, it's really impressive the number of female sports leaders there are in Seattle. I've never seen anything like it. You have athletic directors of two major universities, Alicia at the Storm. You have the head of the Seattle Sports Commission, Beth Knox. There are just a tremendous number of women in this community, and I mentioned this, that was not something I had experienced prior. And I really think in terms of the mindset and bringing a different perspective to what sports is and can be, having different people looking at how do you address that challenge is a huge opportunity. It's one that there's more diversity in terms of leadership here in Seattle than I've seen anywhere else. And so I think that's, that's something that also gets me excited. Well, we're going to have to end it with that final question. So thank you so much for visiting with us tonight. And let's give her a round of applause, please. You've been listening to the Leadership Playbook, the podcast edition of the Albers Executive Speaker Series at Seattle University. If you enjoyed what you heard today, consider telling a friend and give us a good rating on iTunes. You can subscribe to our show for free on your favorite podcast app or find us online at leadershipplaybook.org. Find out who our next guests are by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm Joe Phillips, the Dean of the Albers School of Business and Economics. Thanks for listening.